0: Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I'm Scott Weiner, the chair of the committee. <laughs> to my left is Supervisor Malia Cohen. Our committee vice chair, uh, Jane Kim, uh, will not be joining us today. She has been called in for jury duty and is doing her uh, civic obligation so she can't be here today. Um, and our clerk is uh, Andrea Osbury. And uh, I want to thank SFGTV for broadcasting uh, today's hearing, Jonathan Gumwalk and uh, uh, Jonathan Stock-Cuse. Uh Madam Clerk, are there any announcements?
1: Yes, please silence all electronic devices, completed speaker cards, and po- copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the Clerk. Items acted upon today may appear on the February 2nd, 2015 Board of Supervisors agenda, unless otherwise stated.
0: Okay, uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item one?
1: Item number one is an ordinance amending the planning code to define homeless shelters.
0: Okay, um, and the mayor is the sponsor and uh, we have a planning department uh, to present and followed by uh, Mr. Dufty.
2: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Kimia Haradan. I'm a planner with the San Francisco Planning Department. Before you today is an ordinance amending definitions and controls for homeless shelters and is introduced by Mayor Lee. It was unanimously recommended approval by the Planning Commission on December 18th. This ordinance will bring San Francisco Planning Code into compliance with state law regarding homeless shelter controls. State law requires all jurisdictions to allow emergency homeless shelters as of right, meaning without uh, any required public hearing in at least one zoning district this legislation is also a part of the 2014 housing element update which will come before you in a few weeks currently San Francisco planning code does not include a definition for homeless shelters the zoning administrator uses interpretations of the code to define the use category of homeless shelter proposals which are mostly group housing or <laughs> hotel uses hotel uses are not allowed as of right in any zoning district in San Francisco therefore in few cases where homeless shelters are uh, interpreted as hotel use San Francisco is out of compliance with the state law. The proposed ordinance will bring the planning code into compliance with the state law regarding homeless shelters. It will create a definition for homeless shelters in the planning code. This new definition is based on the more current trends of shelter operation. It will also allow this use as of right in certain zoning districts and with conditional approval in some other districts which uh, reflects the group housing zoning controls existing in the code. It will also exempt homeless shelters from open space, car, and bicycle parking, as well as impact fee requirements. And finally, it will apply certain good neighbor policies to homeless shelters as defined in the administrative code. These good neighbor policies include relationships with neighborhood, like a security plan for hours of operation, sidewalk maintenance plan, signage, and also on-site management. The planning commission again unanimously recommended approval of this legislation and the commission found that this legislation will streamline, review, and approval process for homeless shelters. We uh, suggest that you recommend approval of this legislation as well. Um, Bevan Dufty from the Mayor's Office of Hope is also here to um, talk about this. Thanks.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Dufty.
3: Thank you, Supervisors. I'm Bevan Dufty. I'm Director of the Mayor's Office of Hope Housing Opportunity Partnerships and Engagement. I want to thank the Mayor for sponsoring this measure and it is extremely important that we come into compliance with state requirements that have existed since 2008 that we establish areas where, as of right, shelters can uh, be opened. Truthfully. The city is not going to be opening many shelters. The focus has really been on permanent housing. That's the direction that the country has taken in responding to homelessness. But as both of you have taken the time and come and visited the navigation center, you know that there are tools that we will need to respond to chronic street homelessness encampments and other problems, and we have to have the ability to open facilities. I hope that this legislation helps to keep faith with people in parts of San Francisco that feel that too often services are always cited in their district. And the fact that we've circulated maps, we've met with every supervisorial office, either with staff or with the member of the board, to share where their areas in their district. And I think in some cases it's caused them to think about the fact that down the road, even in districts that have never had services, that they might consider a small shelter or a small program that would help uh, be responsive. Uh, I'd like to point out that there are quite a number of um, providers that are here today, some outstanding providers and um, clients and staff, and I wondered if I could ask the individuals who are here from uh, different agencies and organizations that are in support of this legislation if you might be willing to stand for a moment. So I say that to say that the providers that you see before you represent a cross-section and really serve the diversity of our city in terms of ethnic diversity, in terms of the LGBT community, seniors, uh, and we're so grateful. I, I want to acknowledge and commend Kamiya for her work in developing this legislation and the fact that she and colleagues took the time to visit facilities because there are different types of facilities that serve families and single adults, and they took the time to go and visit them, look at the neighborhoods, look at elements of a- a- districts in San Francisco and recognizing that we want facilities serving those that are unhoused in San Francisco to have access to transit, shops, and other things that we take for granted. So uh, I appreciate so much your consideration, and thank you.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Duftin, and thank you for your work on this. Uh, okay, um, we will now open item number one up for public comment. Uh, I have a few public comment cards. Uh, Del Samore, Jeff Kazitsky, and Tom Radulovich. You can come on up. Public comment will be two minutes.
4: Good afternoon, uh, supervisors and uh, general public. My name is Dale Seymour. I represent the local homeless coordinating board. I'm C2. Uh, I think this is a great piece of legislation that needs to be done. and. I'm aware some of our supervisors feel that their district is unfavorably burdened by a lot of the services that we have for homeless folks. And I've heard myself from people in the avenues and the parts of the city that don't have a lot of homeless services and shelters. And they have a feel about why should you put a shelter in my neighborhood? And I says because you have homeless in your neighborhood. You know, I go out to the marina, I go out to the far avenues near the ocean, and there's quite a few unhoused folks. So we need to have our services citywide. This is not a, a option. It's a necessity. It's a, it's, it's not a privilege. It's a right for people to be housed. So I commend the mayor. I commend your body here for trying to move this along. And I really commend Bevin Duffy and the other activists in the neighborhood for doing all they can. I was so surprised to see, not see more people stand up when Bevin Duffy asked to stand up. I just can't imagine why not. But, uh, this should be a, uh, something that we should, pass and get on and try to work towards permanent housing. So I appreciate whatever you can do to get that done. Thank you.
5: Thank you very much. Good afternoon supervisors just wanted to i work uh, jeff kositsky with hamilton family center uh, we operate the largest family shelter uh, in san francisco uh, wanted to commend the mayor and the planning department and bevan dufty for this important piece of legislation uh, it will go a long way in terms of helping place shelters um, in neighborhoods in a clear and transparent way um, also wanted to point out that um, Margot Antonetti from DPH and Joyce Crum and Scott Walton are here from HSA, and they have a lot of uh, information and background on this particular topic. If you have any further questions, thank you very much for your support.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Dolovich.
6: Uh, good morning, Tom Redulovitch, Executive Director of Livable City. Uh, very much in support of this legislation, uh, this is going to be an important uh, piece of solving uh, our homeless problem, and again, hopefully a small piece uh, as we go more and more towards uh, the idea of putting people in housing rather than shelter, but, uh, but a piece nonetheless. Uh, I'm here today, though, to talk about a, sort of a, a bit of code organization. The second item on this agenda is uh, the cleanup of Article Two of the Planning Code. And that cleanup moves all the definitions that are in Section 102.1 through Section 102.37. So this would sort of follow those other definitions. Moves all those to Section 102. So what you might look at today is, uh, you know, ask the, the city attorney's office just to sync these two ordinances up. The Article 2 cleanup also adds a definition of homeless shelter, and along with the other definitions, it's adding to Section 102. So it would be smart just to make sure that... Uh, that definition lands in the right place in the code uh, as we'd like it organized from this point forward. Uh, Also, just that the references that are being added to all the subsequent sections of the code as part of this ordinance um, use 102 as the reference rather than 102.38. So I believe all of that can be done uh, in the morning. It's mostly just striking out the .38 uh, and leaving it 102. But uh, it's an important thing to do just as we're trying to clean up the code that we not uh, be messing it up simultaneously. So thank you
0: actually mr givner could you respond to that
6: uh concern sure deputy city attorney john givner so mr ordovich is correct that the that this ordinance creates a new 102.38 with a definition of of homeless shelter and then refers to that 102.38 throughout the second item on the agenda creates a new, uh, or modifies section 102 and puts the definition of homeless shelter in there um, so uh, we can i think by tomorrow morning Uh, go through and see, as he suggests, how we can sync up this first piece just to make sure that all the references are to 102 rather than 102.38. I'd suggest that you not make the amendment today, uh, but we can clean it up and then you can make it as a technical amendment at the board tomorrow.
0: Okay, great. Thank you very much, Mr. Givner. Okay, is there any additional public comment on item one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, so, first, of all, I want to thank uh, everyone who's participated in uh, making this project uh, happen. Or, I guess it hasn't happened yet, but it is moving towards uh, happening. I did have an opportunity uh, to go with uh, with Mr. Dufty and with Trent Rohr to visit uh, uh, the site. Um, it seems like a very, very exciting uh, project uh, to me. and I. I hope it succeeds. I hope that after uh, it needs to move that it finds a permanent home, assuming it's successful, which it seems like it could be. Um, and I hope it ends up uh, being a model uh, for not just San Francisco but for other places. Uh, we, For too long I think we've had um, a disjointed uh, approach to at least certain populations uh, of uh, homeless people, and uh, this really seems like a promising uh, way of trying to bring everything together for, uh, for certain populations that are very difficult uh, uh, to reach and to help in a systematic way. So I think it's really exciting and I'm glad that it's moving forward. Uh, I did uh, uh, discuss with, uh, with Mr. Dalton, who's my predecessor, of course. Uh, the importance of including the Castro uh, in the outreach to make sure that we are uh, helping the Castro, although the um, homeless uh, challenges in the Castro are not nearly what they are in the mission. and some other areas, we do have a population uh, that really needs outreach, and, uh, and I think sometimes because of the very, very significant challenges in other parts of the city, uh, we don't always get the same level of focus, which isn't a criticism, it's just the reality of the resources we have. So uh, uh, I'm happy to support uh, this today. So with that, uh, Supervisor Cohen, could I have a motion to forward item one uh, to the full board so to, moved. with recommendation
7: That's as
0: good. a committee report?
7: I'd like to make a motion to move this forward as a committee report okay. as a recommendation. Okay,
0: and without objection, that will be the order. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Madam Clerk, uh, will you please call item number four?
1: Item number four is an ordinance admitting the general plan, recreation, and Actually, an Why
0: don't we wait okay, for the Okay, sure. Minute?
7: Oh, here, I have a whole box.
4: Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, once the door closes, which I think it is. Okay.
1: Item number four. Okay, Madam Clerk,
0: please call item number four.
1: Item number four is the ordinance amending the general plan, recreation, and open space element.
0: Okay, um, uh, I am the uh, sponsor of item number uh, four. Uh, This uh, legislation amends the general plan uh, and uh, sets the city's long-term strategy to ensure the health and sustainability of our uh, street trees, which are uh, a key part of our urban forest. Uh, this plan uh, which uh, is it's exciting that we're moving forward with it. It's long overdue and it's been a long time in the making. I want to really commend the planning department and the Department of Public Works, uh, particularly John Sway and Carla Short for the thoughtful and deliberate process that's produced this cutting edge document. Uh, the plan was supported unanimously by the Planning Commission and by the Urban Forestry Council. Um, We know that healthy tree-lined streets are a key component of our urban forest and key to our uh, healthy environment and our quality of life. Uh, We have an estimated 105,000 street trees in San Francisco. Uh, They make our neighborhoods more livable, walkable, and sustainable. They remove pollutants from the air and from our water, and they confer millions of dollars annually in benefits to our city. Um, sadly, uh, many of our street sh- trees are not in good shape. Uh, we also know that San Francisco ranks quite low uh, among our peer cities in terms of canopy coverage, uh, which is unacceptable for a city as green and forward-looking and env- as environmentally conscious of San Francisco. Currently, of the 105,000 street trees in San Francisco, 60% are the maintenance responsibility of fronting Uh, property owners, while 40% are maintained by the city. Um, uh, We know that the city is now, unfortunately, undergoing a process of dumping these trees on property owners, uh, so we will soon be at a point where nearly 100% of street trees are the responsibility of property owners. Uh, That's the case uh, whether or not the property owner planted the tree, whether they own the tree, whether they want the tree, whether they have the financial or physical Uh, ability to take care of the tree Uh, regardless they're expected to take care of it. Uh, The policy is extremely unfair uh, to many property owners and a real hardship when it comes to uh, maintaining trees and fixing broken sidewalk caused by the roots and particularly for some of the trees uh, in our city that are massive uh, in nature uh, it can be very very expensive to take care of those trees and so the city's policy is really an awful one Uh, and it needs to change and uh, we've been working closely with the departments and Friends of the Urban Forest uh, to try to come up with sustainable funding to create an urban forest fund uh, so that the city can take on its responsibility of caring for all of the street trees. Um, So, uh, uh, but that is a, a conversation that is ongoing and we currently do not have a solution but in the meantime, uh, this plan really uh, creates um, a good roadmap uh, for how to have uh, the best possible urban forest, uh, at least the, the street tree aspect, uh, in our city. Um, but I do want to stress that uh, uh, adopting this plan is very important and then following up with the creation of a sustainable funding stream. Um, so uh, with that, I want to turn it over to Mr. Sway uh, to present for the planning department.
8: Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm John Sway with the Planning Department staff. I'm also the manager of the Urban Forest Plan. And I think, Supervisor Weiner, you just gave my presentation, but <laughs> we, can, we can follow through with most of it. I wanted to start uh, with just an overview of the urban forest, um, talk about some of the problems related to street trees, and invite Carla Short from uh, Public Works, who's here today, and then talk about what the plan, the plan's policy direction and the action we're requesting of the supervisors today. So we estimate there's about 700,000 trees in the city of San Francisco, about 105,000 street trees, and 131,000 trees on the par- in the parks. And these, as these trees, as the supervisor mentioned, uh, provide a number of environmental benefits from absorbing greenhouse gases, filtering air pollution near freeways, um, absorbing stormwater runoff, also economic benefits, um, increasing property values. Um, There are studies that have shown that trees in neighborhood commercial areas can improve economic activity in those areas as well as the social and public health benefits of public trees in terms of improving health and well-being and um, helping with things like traffic calming. So some of the studies that have come out by the U.S. Forest Service have estimated some of the values of the trees. So these are overall urban forest Uh, estimates. So as a capital asset in the city, we estimate that the city's trees, if we had to replace them all tomorrow, would be about $1.7 billion. And each year, uh, the trees give back about $9.5 million in environmental benefits to the city. And there's an estimate that they increase, they're responsible for a $100 million increase in property values. So. This, you know, one of the, the ironies is that San Francisco is known as a very green city and we're on the top lists of all these world's greenest cities, but many of our streets look like this and we actually do have a startling lack of green in the city. And as the supervisor mentions, we, ha- we have one of the lowest tree canopies of any major city um, in the United States. And in addition to that, the trees are not distributed um, equitably throughout the city. So you can see certain uh, neighborhoods with less, the darker neighborhoods have more tree canopy cover and the lighter neighborhoods have less. And so there's an interest in kind of creating some greening equities throughout the city by planting new trees. So with all these things, we are working on an urban forest plan for the entire city. Um, This is a partnership between the planning department, public works, We've also been in um, talks with the Rec Park Department and the City's Urban Forestry Council, also with big support from Friends of the Urban Forest. And the plan's taking place in three phases. We're doing phase one that's focused on street trees, a second phase that will look at issues related to parks, trees and parks and open space, and a third phase that talks about trees on private property. And today we're here to talk about the first phase of the plan, the street tree plan, which we completed this last year. So I wanted to invite Carla from the Urban Forester from Public Works to talk about why we are focusing on street trees.
9: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Carla Short, Department of Public Works. So, Supervisor Wiener, I think you gave both our presentations, but I will also run through mine.
0: We've been, we've been working together for a long time, Carla. I don't <laughs> like...
9: We... Um, we are focusing now on street trees because of the current policies that you alluded to. Um, the, the system in San Francisco is very unfair. Some property owners have for for years had maintenance responsibility for their street trees, while others have had care provided by the city, and um, the Department of Public Works is currently transferring that maintenance responsibility in many cases to the adjacent property owner. Um, this is not done out of spite or for some um, uh, reason other than the fact that the Department of Public Works has had our funding um, consistently cut for tree maintenance even while we have um, seen uh, additional tree plantings going on. So um, we used to be on roughly a five-year tree pruning cycle. The industry standard for pruning trees is every three to five years depending on the species and the needs of the tree and as you can see we are currently at about a 12-year pruning cycle. So this process of transferring maintenance responsibility, basically the goal would be um, from the department's perspective to transfer about 21,700 street trees that are currently being maintained by the city to adjacent property owners. Um, The city would continue to maintain a few street trees adjacent to public properties um, as well as trees that are located in medians where there is no adjacent property owner that could um, have that responsibility. And so um, the distribution would require, you know, that um, almost 80% of the trees would then be the maintenance responsibility of the adjacent property owners. You mentioned a few of the challenges of this program. Um, property owners are um, either unable or unwilling to care for trees. As you noted, they are f- facing costs that they had never um, borne in the past or, or planned for. Um, and one of the biggest concerns to me as the urban forester for the department is concerns about the quality of tree care. What we've seen already is um, that people have either deliberately or inadvertently damaged or destroyed trees because they don't know how to care for them. Um, in addition, there's a much higher um, per tree cost when we have a, a pruning program where one property owner might prune a tree on Monday um, and hire a crew. They'll come out, they'll mobilize, they'll prune a tree, and then Thursday of that same week, their neighbor might hire someone to prune a tree. Um, where that would have cost not just to those property owners, but also to the city in terms of carbon output um, and inefficiencies. So, this is a real world example of a um, tree that was actually killed by a property owner who um, had not even received notice that the tree had been transferred, but uh, had concerns that he was going to have the tree maintenance responsibility transferred to him and excessively prune the tree, um, which, which can and in this case did kill that tree. So, probably 30 years of growth and those environmental benefits are lost in one instant. So, again, um, we estimate that we currently have about 105,000 street trees in San Francisco. This is what um, the maintenance responsibility looks like currently. This is what it would be if Public Works uh, continues to um, transfer maintenance responsibility throughout the city. And this is what we'd like to see and what the urban forest plan um, really suggests is the the best policy for the city. Um, It's a higher standard of care across the city. Um, We did a lot of research and best management practices and looked at what other cities are doing. And I think it's widely recognized that a municipally managed program does result not just in those efficiencies, but in a higher standard of care. And as you noted, urban forest provides many benefits to us, so we should invest in having the healthiest, most sustainable urban forest that we can.
8: Thanks, Carla. So as part of our urban forest planning work, we did three different things. We did a finance study uh, that we've talked to the supervisors about previously that looked at different financing options to fund a citywide municipal street tree program. We also have conducted a partial street tree census of about 28,000 trees in the city to collect data on the city's street trees. We'll be kicking off this year the full citywide census, and then the third piece was the policy document, the plan itself, which you should have all received a copy of. Um, just a quick note on our outreach and engagement process over two years, we went to um, a number of public events and held workshops, uh, think tanks. We worked with students at Lakeshore Elementary School to create an urban forest on Slope Boulevard. So we spent a lot of time engaging the public in the issues surrounding street trees and learning about what their goals were for the city. So just quickly on the key recommendations of the plan itself that are to the first one is to maximize the benefits of street trees in San Francisco that we know they provide all these great benefits in terms of carbon sequestration storm water management habitat providing habitat and so we should really think about how we can maximize these benefits in the city as well as make these benefits aware to the public through signage or other means And then we put the goal in to grow the city's street tree population by half, from about 105,000 street trees to 155,000 street trees. So this would add, it's a modest goal, but we think an important goal to add about 50,000 new street trees over the next 20 years. And in order to do this type of thing, as Carla mentioned, one of the plan's main recommendations is that the city should have its own citywide municipal street tree maintenance program run by the Department of Public Works. Um, And then, to do this, would be necessary to identify some sort of stable funding source for this program. And then finally, the plan proposes to manage trees throughout their entire life cycle from the trees that are planted as seedlings, perhaps starting a street tree nursery in San Francisco where we could grow some of our own trees locally, all the way up to reusing the wood from our trees after the trees um, are removed or have died. So today what we are here is to ask uh, the supervisors to consider um, forwarding for approval the draft ordinance that would amend the recreation and open space element uh, policy 3.6 with some slight rewording that would incorporate the urban forest plan by reference in in the general plan's recreation open space element. And just to be stated that the commission did find that the plan itself was um, supportive of many of the general plan other elements, as well as the Prop 101 findings. And that concludes my presentation, and we're happy to respond to any questions.
7: <clears throat> Mr. Chair.
8: To Professor Cohen.
7: Thank you. I just wanted just to take a moment to give a special shout out to Carla Short. She's got a really tough job. Trees, who knew trees could be so controversial and so political. So Carla, where are you? Are you still here? Okay, thank you for your patience. You're amazing. And um, so I just wanted you to, to know. I know you get beat up a lot. <laughs> but I, I recognize your hard work, and I just wanted to just take a moment to extend that to you. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you, Mr. Sway. And I, I do want to just reiterate that, um, <clears throat> that uh, DPW really has gotten decimated in terms of its budget since the recession on uh, forestry. And uh, it does the best with the extremely uh, limited resources it has uh, and it's just further proof that we need to find the sustainable funding source. So thank you to all the city departments uh, who participated in putting this together. Uh, So with that, we will now move to public comment, And I have three public comment cards, Uh, Dan Flanagan, uh, John
10: Braslaw, and Mark Christensen. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Dan Flanagan. I'm with the I'm Executive Director of Friends of Urban Forest and I'm also the Head of the Urban Forest Council. Uh, I think many great points have already been made, so I don't want to repeat them. I do want to make the point that this um, was a cooperative uh, effort between a lot of uh, city departments and also the um, Urban for um, Friends of the Urban Forest, in addition to the Urban Forest Council. This has been, this is really the product of many, many months of work, and this is well along, this is really overdue because the city has been in desperate need of a good, as you as um, supervisor. Weiner said we need a road map for how to deal with street trees going forward. One of the most important recommendations I believe that we've come up with the urban forest plan is a sustainable uh, uh, funding source for uh, street trees in San Francisco. The history of street trees in San Francisco is is very long and it's very troubled because uh, it. Supervisors, the supervisor, a board of supervisors, has given money periodically and then taken away money. But that's not the way to take care of trees. Any kind of urban tree, trees need to be taken care of every single year. And by doing it every single year, you're actually saving money by doing that. So I strongly recommend that the uh, supervisors endorse this plan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker.
11: Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm John brazlime I'm on the board of Friends of the Urban Forest. And I want to thank you for having this hearing and I want to urge you to, uh, to approve this plan and recommend it to the Board of Supervisors for passage. Um, as you've heard, um, as, as, as you introduced and you've, you've heard from the speakers, trees add a tremendous value to our community. They add millions of dollars of value and they improve the quality of life. Um, promotion and care of the urban forest is vital to the overall health of our city. As was mentioned, uh, we're a very green city and this is one of the areas where we're really in need of improvement, improvement at a policy level and improvement at, at the activity level. As was just mentioned, one of the key components of the plan is a funding plan and that's something that we've seen has been under great pressure over the years. And as trees compete with other priorities for limited resources, unfortunately, they tend to lose out. So one of the key components of this is to create that stable funding plan that will allow us to really grow the forest and to maintain its health over the long term. So I urge you to, uh, to pass this plan. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And actually, before we proceed with public comment, um, uh, Ms. Justin, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that uh, MOD was, uh, you were here for this item. So before we proceed with public comment, I just want to give Mayor's Office of Disability an opportunity. I should have called the department up uh, before. So my apologies for that.
12: I really appreciate your graciousness in inviting me up. I'm Supervisor Weiner. I'm actually here for another item today, but when I saw this on the agenda, I just felt that I wanted to um, join the conversation. Last night, I returned from a trip to New Orleans and to Atlanta, and I can say from my travels that trees really make the city. And it was a very stark reentry to San Francisco when I came home last night to see just how few trees we have here and just how the many trees of those other beautiful cities that I visited really made my stay there and my visit so much more enjoyable. But there is another side to this, and that is that a well-maintained street tree actually helps us to maintain our accessible pedestrian environment because when we neglect our street trees, when we allow the roots to drive up the sidewalk flags, then we create barriers in the public right-of-way. And so this plan, which I've seen presented at the capital Plan previously, is a very rational and thoughtful effort at looking at improving our street tree canopy, but also looking for the long-term maintenance of our streets and sidewalks. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Johnson. My apologies.
13: Good afternoon, Supervisors. I am Mark Christensen, President of the Merced Extension Triangle Neighborhood Association. I support the Urban Forest Plan. However, I support transferring the maintenance of street trees from the property owners back to the Department of Public Works, but the budget for this must be restored. The Board of Supervisors has systematically taken money out of the urban forestry budget over the past 10 to 12 years. I would like to see the funding level restored to the 2003 level when there were more arborists and tree maintenance workers within the urban forestry division. Only after the restoration of all diverted funds should the neighborhood associations and individuals throughout the city even consider supporting a ballot initiative that would have a small parcel tax to increase the funding levels. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Let me call some additional cards. Gordon Matassa, uh, Philip Pierce, Laura Tam, and Doug Wildman, as well as Tom Radulovich.
4: Thank you. As we've seen from the
8: Urban Forest Master Plan, we're losing more trees than we're planting each year. It's really a shame that this is happening to our great city, and we can definitely do something about it. And the Urban Forest Master Plan presents, uh, to reiterate what someone else has said, a very rational plan for the city to take to uh, restore the trees, or to restore, to make our urban forest as best as it could be. So thank you. Thank
4: you. Hi, uh, Doug Wildman,
8: Friends of the Urban Forest. I'm excited to see this moving forward. Um, And there's been a lot of work that you mentioned, both with Carlos Short, DBW, and the planning department. Um, I was just reviewing our general plan that I printed back in 2006, but very few uh, specific examples of of trees and, and very general notes. And it's exciting to refer to a plan and to be moving forward, especially looking at the focus on Um, the financing. So, again, I'm really stoked, very excited to have this moving forward. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon.
14: Uh, Phil with Friends of the Urban Forest. Uh, I just want to say I very much support this. Uh, And just anecdotally, we get phone calls all the time from folks that have had a tree relinquished to them um, and don't have the know-how or the resources to take care of it properly. Um, and it's really scary because there's nothing that we can do. I know that we can recommend them to hire a certified arborist to take care of it, but that can be costly, and a lot of folks, uh, it's not in their budget. Um, So I I just think the only way to take care of this in a reasonable manner is for the city to take back uh, the trees and make it so we have a safe, healthy urban forest.
0: Thanks. Well said. Next speaker.
15: Thank you very much. I'm Laura Tam with Spur. I'm also on the board of Friends of the Urban Forest. I'm also a property owner and a street tree maintainer um, for now. Um, I'm very pleased to be here to support. I, we loosely participated in helping to develop the Urban Forest Match Plan. I'm here to support it. I'm looking forward to seeing this comprehensive plan laid out for the city in terms of what we can do and what we need to do, um, be enshrined in the planning code and I think it's important because it really sets forth all the benefits of the urban forest that everyone has already described, cleaner air, cleaner water, stormwater retention, beautification, traffic calming, um, pedestrian safety and other things. Um, But I also want to speak to the issue, the one benefit that I don't think has really been described today is the equity issue which is As John described, some places have more of a forest than others, which is an an equity issue geographically. Of course, there's an equity issue in that some people have more resources and ability to care for the trees that are in front of their homes than others. Um, There was an an elderly woman who lived on my block, and she was really unable to care for her trees. She could barely walk, and it was... um, I observed this happening and uh, I offered to help where I could, which wasn't too much, but it, it was just very stark in per, for, from my own perspective of, of how um, this policy that we have of letting property owners uh, take care of their trees is, is difficult for many and it increases the risk to the forest. And then finally, there's a generational equity issue. Um, I, I have somebody I was speaking with recently who has a senior role in the city said, you know, one thing that I worry about is that... Our kids will say to us, where are all the trees and why didn't you plant some more? Why didn't you take care of them? And so I think that we have to think about farther into the future when we think about protecting and managing our urban forests. And I think this plan goes a long way to taking the city there. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Radovich.
6: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Tom Radulovitch from Livable City, very much in support of the plan. Um, Another uh, thing you might look at as an implementation step uh, is to uh, see what the requirements are for developers when they, you know, tear out and, and replace sidewalks. Uh, that It's a really great opportunity to get some private, you know, this commonly happens when people are building stuff, people are building a lot in this city right now and I think we could do a, a better job of sort of capturing some public value from these private investments. Um, a few examples, on 18th Street there have been two wonderful conversions of garages into storefronts. Now I, I kept waiting though for those property owners to, you know, put the street trees in where the former driveway cuts were, they didn't uh, because either somebody at the planning department missed it or it's not a requirement of the code. So so opportunities like that when a driveway is removed always put a street tree in. Um, Then you get some private money to install them and then uh, as a city we have the responsibility hopefully in the future of maintaining them but we won't have the responsibility necessarily of installing every tree because we can do it at the time when people are doing other work on the site. Uh, Another example is. um, at the corner of Sanchez and Market, where Thai House used to be. I don't know what that development's called. Uh, they did the, you know, so smallish. Linnea, I believe. Linnea? Yeah. Okay. Um, they did these smallish tree basins on Market Street. If you turn the corner onto 15th Street, which is part of the Bose Triangle neighborhood has these wonderful big tree basins and so on, they also did those similar small tree basins. That would have been a great opportunity to do larger tree basins and some plantings. Makes the trees healthier. Helps green the neighborhood. So I think you can get a lot more value uh, out of these private investments and it would generate goodwill in the neighborhood uh, for these developments if you look at the controls in the planning code and look at the standards in the public works code. Uh, for what happens when uh, uh, properties are developed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dolovich. Next speaker.
16: Hi, my name is Sonia O'Claire. I'm with Presidia Graduate School um, of Sustainable Management. And uh, I actually worked with John and Carla on the issue of reusing street trees and actually looking at the different ways of reuse of any wood removed by this program. Um, generally, the wood removed is not from just ordinary, it's removed from ordinary circumstances. I just want to be clear, not just because they will nilly remove trees. Um, but we really looked at the benefits of really having that sustainable cycle and um, keeping the beauty within the, the city as well as um, really keeping that carbon sequestered that they collect over their entire life. And so um, I just want to say I approve this, and really, that this plan focuses on that s- keeping that sustainable cycle alive is um, really important.
0: Thank you. Is there any additional public comment on item four? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, I want to thank uh, everyone who came out today, and thank the departments uh, for their work putting uh, this plan together um, as well as their work generally uh, to improve our urban forest. I also want to thank uh, Friends of the Urban Forest for its work. Uh, They uh, just does amazing work uh, in our neighborhoods uh, every week to really get more trees planted, um, take care of them for the first three years, and, and do it in a way that engages neighborhoods to come together and make it a communal thing in terms of planting these trees because it really is about uh, the community and not uh, about individual trees. And I want to thank Andres Power in my office who actually I believe staffed the urban forestry council when he was at the planning department uh, and who's done an enormous amount of work on these issues there and also in my office. And uh, I think it's been mentioned we uh, uh, I did announce late last year that we're forming a working group. Uh, to propose an urban forest fund, uh, a funding solution really to create this fund and submit that to the voters uh, in the near future. Uh, And so we're uh, beginning the work on that. We're going to start meeting uh, next month and uh, I look forward to uh, coming up with a solution because what we uh, need to make sure is that whatever we do that it is a complete solution. There have been too many band aid solutions. Uh, for uh, street trees and I would uh, absolutely love to restore uh, our general fund uh, contribution to urban forestry to what it was in 2003. The problem with that is that even if that happened in this year's budget cycle and we'd all be clicking our heels and happy, I would have absolutely no confidence that it wouldn't be slashed again next year or in five years or whenever we have a, a challenging uh, budget year. Because we've seen that over and over again when there are budget challenges, trees are among the first things to be uh, sliced out of the budget. And so I wouldn't even have confidence that that would be a long-term solution. What we want to do with the Urban Forest Fund uh, is make sure that we have lockbox funding Uh, For trees, that the city, that that the creation of the fund is conditioned on the city taking back responsibility. So, if the city starts dumping trees again, the fund would uh, go away. Uh, So, really create incentives that we have long-term sustainable funding. Um, So, I really look forward to uh, the entire city coming together to talk about these issues in the near future. Um, So, uh, with that, uh, Supervisor uh, Cohen, could I have a motion? Uh, to forward item four to the full board with positive recommendation. Okay, and without objection, that will be the order. Thank you, everyone. Okay, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number two.
1: Item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code and consolidate definitions and reorganize article two.
0: And uh, I'm the author of item uh, two. Uh, our planning code is perhaps the most amended portion of our municipal code with hundreds of pieces of legislation over the years solving for various issues, enabling new uses and activities and restricting others. Uh, Over the years, with so many amendments, sometimes uh, moving forward um, at lightning speed, uh, the code accumulates inconsistencies, errors, and other flaws that need to be uh, uh, corrected. Uh, This legislation, which is uh, very, very sexy, I think they're going to actually make a reality TV show about it, um, updates Article 2 of the Planning Code by reorganizing, consolidating, and making consistent hundreds of pages of the Planning Code It was supported unanimously by the Planning Commission. Uh, The legislation doesn't make substantive amendments to the code, but rather makes it easier for everyone, including the public, uh, to read the code and rely on it. Um, I want to thank Aaron Starr for his work on this Herculean task. Uh, I don't recall the last time we considered uh, an ordinance that was more than 500 pages long. Uh, And I also want to thank Judy Boyajian, our Deputy City Attorney, Uh, who um, I think has been pulling her hair out for quite some time uh, to keep uh, this draft legislation current because every time we uh, amend the code uh, there are more uh, challenges and inconsistencies to deal with. But she did a great job. And also I want to thank Tom Radulovich for his uh, work. I've uh, put a lot of time into helping uh, with this ordinance. Um, I have a few oral amendments that I'm going to uh, describe before we go to public comment and then we can vote after public comment. Uh, the first are um, just a series of general amendments to conform this legislation with changes that have been made recently in the formula retail ordinance. And second, uh, correcting uh, some inadvertent minor errors in the Article 2 tables. Uh, so with that, I want to invite Mr. Starr up uh, to present for the Planning Department. Uh,
14: thank you, Supervisor Weiner. Um, it's a very sexy ordinance. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, my name is Aaron Starr, I'm the Planning Department's Manager of Legislative Affairs. Uh, the item before you is an ordinance that amends the Planning Code to consolidate definitions into Section 102 reorganize Article 2 to create zoning control tables and make other non-substantive changes um, to update, clarify, and simplify the code. Like I said, I'm very excited about this. This is the beginning of the end for this project, which has um, taken about two years to complete. Um, I'm also excited about this ordinance because it seeks to create consistency and improve usability of the planning code uh, most of the time we 're here to discuss ordinances that add more complexity to the code um, without much thought to how the information is organized or the end user this ordinance is different it places all uses into one section of the planning code and lists them alphabetically doing this consolidates duplicate or redundant definitions and eliminates outdated definitions it also makes article 2 easier to use by creating zoning control tables not only do these tables tables list all of the use controls for these zoning districts but they also provide most of the relevant development information you'll need to know in one easy to read chart. The planning commission heard this on November 20th of last year and voted unanimously to recommend approval with modifications. Those modifications have already been incorporated into the ordinance that's before you today. This ordinance is phase one of a three-phase process, um, so more sexiness to come. Um, the next two phases would amend articles seven and eight to conform to the zoning control tables that we're creating for article two and um, to reference the new set of consolidated use definitions. Um, the department would like to thank, Super- uh, thank Supervisor Weiner for taking on sponsorship of this ordinance. And I'd also personally like to thank, uh, thank Uh, Judy Boyajian for the incredible amount of work that she did putting this ordinance together, and i also like to acknowledge and thank Tom Radulovich of Liberal Cities for the incredible amount of work he put into reviewing and consulting on this ordinance. Um, With that, it concludes my remarks, and I'm happy to take questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr.
0: Starr. Thank you for your work. Um, Okay, uh, with that, we will open up item number two for public comment. I have one public comment card, Tom Radulovich.
6: Tom Dudlewitch from Livable City. Um, I'm very happy to see this moving forward. As was mentioned, it's been uh, working. Folks have been working on this for a few years. I also understood from Judy that this is—it's uh, long been seen as a need. That these uh, these tables are a mess. The controls are very very poorly organized. When we did Eastern Neighborhoods, we made it actually a lot more confusing because no one went back and did this step. Uh, and I understand this is the third effort at doing this. So I just really wanted to commend uh, Aaron and his colleagues for uh, for getting it done. This time. Um, uh, There were a lot of people that were rather cynical about uh, the prospects for this because it is unsexy, it's not substantive, but uh, absolutely essential if we're going to uh, try and uh, make a code that's usable for folks. So I wanted to acknowledge their great work. Um, and thank you, Supervisor Weiner, for doing this. I'm glad to have a supervisor who likes to clean up messes. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of messes, of course, in city government to clean up. And this is a big one. So um, kudos to you as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Zolovich. Is there any additional public comment on item two? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, okay, so first, uh, I've, um, I previously described uh, some minor amendments. Uh, supervisor Cohen, can we take those amendments without objection? Okay, the amendments are adopted, and could I have a motion to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation? And without objection, that will be the order. Okay, before we go to item three, uh, actually, could I, I forgot to do this before, could I have a motion to excuse Supervisor Kim? Yes. Okay, without objection, Supervisor Kim is excused. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item three?
1: Item number three is an ordinance admitting the planning code to establish a procedure for requesting modification of code requirements to accommodate a disability.
0: Okay. Um, I'm the author of item number uh, three. Um, this legislation is part of ongoing work uh, around the update to uh, the city's 2014 housing element update uh, and it prescribes a process for a person with disability Uh, To apply for a reasonable accommodation from the uh, planning code in order to eliminate barriers to housing. Uh, This is important to make sure that people can age in place and that everyone has access to housing. Uh, We need to make sure that people with mobility or other mobility challenges or other disabilities have the same access to housing as everyone else. Uh, This process would take the form of an administrative variance. Uh, Our planning code, as we uh, just learned, is uh, thousands of pages long. And we regulate just about every aspect of a building's design, both through the planning code as well as through the building code. Uh, the legislation will make sure that we're providing a fair and reasonable process for people with disabilities to make modifications to their homes so that they can stay in place while maintaining the integrity of our land use controls. Um, uh, Ms. Mohan from the planning department is here and will provide a brief overview of the legislation.
16: Thank you, Supervisor Weiner, and Supervisor Cohen. So I'm Menika Mohan from the Planning Department, and I'm just going to provide a brief overview of the ordinance. And I also just want to recognize that Carla Johnson is here from the Mayor's Office of Disability. We worked uh, closely with her and Joanna Fregouli to develop the legislation. Um, and as Supervisor Weiner stated, this is a required part of the 2014 housing element. Uh, the Planning Commission unanimously approved uh, this legislation on November 20th. And uh, planning staff also attended the Mayor's Disability Council on January 16th to very positive feedback. Uh, So the Reasonable Modification Ordinance provides a process for individuals with a disability to request a reasonable modification to their residential properties to eliminate any barriers to accessing their home. These modifications include changes to a residential property that enable residents uh, with a disability to access their homes under fair housing laws. The modification must serve the disability and be necessary to provide equal opportunity to live in that neighborhood. Currently requests for reasonable modifications to residential uses are addressed by the zoning administrator on a case by case basis through the standard variance procedure. Applicants are not offered a clear process for reasonable modifications and this can lead to many delays in approvals. So in developing the program, uh, staff researched policies of other municipalities within the state of California, talked to the Mayor's Office of Disability and reviewed department records to understand uh, where reasonable modification requests have been made. Uh, the most common modifications included access ramps, parking, elevators, and additional habitable space. Given that these were the most commonly requested modifications, the department created an administrative path for these requests. Additionally, these accommodations are both important for people to access their homes and do not propose a hardship on the building uh, as regulated by the Planning Code. Uh, finally, the second, the second process would be continue to be reviewed through the existing variance procedure. So if you are not requesting additional parking uh, access ramps, elevators or additional habitable space you would have to go through the, the normal variance process or section 305 of the planning code. The, this ordinance meets the needs of pe- persons with disabilities to access their homes under fair housing laws and this legislation will make homes homes for persons with a disability easier under current planning code regulations. Uh, we, at the planning commission as well as the mayor's office of disability re- recommends approval of this legislation and we hope that you pass it to the full board. We are available for questions.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Johnson, did you want to uh, make any remarks?
12: Yes, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today, uh, Chair Weiner and Supervisor Cohen. I want to especially thank you, Supervisor Weiner, for sponsoring this legislation. And it's been a wonderful experience working with the Planning Department staff, Panaka and Kristen. And I want to thank the staff as well as the Planning Commission for moving this forward. Our office as you know is the city's overall ADA coordinator and this year 2015 is actually the 25th anniversary of the signing of the ADA. So to me it seems most appropriate that um, at this time we should put in place a process to do something that the planning department has actually been doing all along which is granting reasonable modifications when it can to the planning code. But what's been lacking in the past is a very clear process for both staff and members of the public to really understand and uh, have access to the benefits of that consideration. This legislation um, is important to me personally. I have worked with the planning department on individual cases to advocate for people who needed to make modifications to their home. Um, one of the most recent ones was uh, Barbara Brenner, who had come down with ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. And she wanted very much to be able to live in her Noe Valley home where she had, continued to live in her Noe Valley home where she had resided for 30 years. But in order to be able to continue living there, she really needed an elevator. And under the current zoning requirements, she wouldn't have been allowed to put one in. Well, the planning staff was very helpful about um, meeting that need and walking her through the variance process. But what is, again, so rational and efficient about this change to the planning code is that it will make that process um, simpler, clearer, and more readily accessible to all who may need it. So I want to thank you again for this legislation and uh, speak strongly in support.
0: Thank you. Okay, is there any public comment on item three? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, One uh, question I have for planning, which I don't know if if you'll be able to answer, but uh, I'll ask it. It's partially rhetorical and partially uh, real. Um, uh, The one area that still will require, I think, some secondary review in terms of exemptions uh, has to do with historic preservation. And uh, you know we've seen a number of uh, just because I know this is true probably for all of my colleagues a lot of different um, when there are challenges in the, things getting stuck in the planning department or taking too long for whatever reason uh, they tend to you know we see them coming through our office uh, and it's uh, very I think by far and away I mean it's not even a close call um, the the top source of delay and things getting stuck and things getting becoming dramatically more expensive is, has to do with uh, historic preservation uh, review and it really is highly frustrating to members of the public. Uh, it's highly frustrating uh, to me. It's highly frustrating, I know, to people in the planning department. Um, and so I would want to make sure that, of course, everything has to be thoroughly uh, reviewed when a reasonable accommodation is being requested. Um, but what confidence level can we have that we won't have situations where someone, because we know that historic preservation touches just about everything because so many buildings are 45 years or older, uh, what co- confidence level should we have that when people are requesting accommodations so, so that they can stay in their home or live in a home and have access that it's not going to get stuck for very extended periods of time. Uh, in the historic preservation unit and that we won't see dramatic cost escalations which we really do see in some other areas.
16: So I don't know if I can answer your tyrant question but one thing the planning department is planning to do with the mayor's office of disability is uh, create an actual form similar to our other variance forms that identify reasonable modification and I'm working closely with our historic planners to make that form. very clear uh, that you would get identified as a historic property early on in the process. And then we're also going to be having training with all planning department staff who staff the counter to make sure that we flag those properties in the beginning. Um, but our, so I don't know if that helps answer the question or... i
0: You know, I, I guess um, I was just, I've just seen too many examples including, I don't know, our renovation of Dolores Park and other situations both public and private where we've seen dramatic delays. Uh, due to things getting stuck in the historic preservation unit with dramatic cost escalations, whether it's to a private homeowner or to, say, rec and park. Uh, Rec and park can absorb a lot, although that means you're not spending that money on another uh, playground or park project because because of the delay. Um, A lot of homeowners, and I would imagine people with disabilities, are probably a little more likely not to be able to afford the delay and the cost increases. So I really just want to stress that this is Mm -hmm. an important issue uh, in making sure that uh, people are able to navigate this process uh, expeditiously. Thank you. Okay, um, uh, so Supervisor Cohen, if I could have a motion to forward item three to the full board with positive recommendation.
7: So
1: moved.
0: And without objection, that will be the order. Thank you. you. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item five.
1: Item number five is an ordinance, amending the planning code to consolidate definitions and controls of certain zoning districts for awnings, canopies, and marquees.
0: Okay. uh, This is also uh, an ordinance that I uh, authored and um, I don't know they just all happened to converge on today I guess. Um, This legislation for the first time in a long time updates the city's sign controls. Regulation is important to keep our commercial corridors and our residential neighborhoods uh, aesthetically uh, uh, free of uh, visual uh, blight. Uh, the legislation was supported unanimously by the Planning Commission and also by the Small Business Commission. I also want to thank our former colleague, uh, now Assemblyman David Chu, uh, for his office's work on this legislation before uh, he left to go to Sacramento. Uh, generally, for existing businesses, uh, this legislation will not uh, change uh, the controls, but for locations that close down for six months or more between tenants, the signs for that business, including the awnings, window signs, et cetera, will need to be updated by the new tenant to be in conformity uh, with these controls. This will help ensure that awnings are clean and safe that signage doesn't visually clutter our commercial corridors and that windows and visibility to the street are not unnecessarily obscured. Uh, The legislation also makes permanent interim controls that I authored last year to make sure that billboard companies are not masquerading as business signs. We know that uh, there were uh, some billboard companies, one in particular, uh, that were explo- exploiting a loophole uh, in the planning code uh, to uh, say they were a business sign but really be a billboard. Uh, the voters have voted overwhelmingly over and over again not to allow new billboards in San Francisco and so we were able to close that loophole. Uh, through interim controls which we are now making uh, permanent Um, I want to offer one amendment to this piece of legislation to bring it into conformity with the recommendations made by the Planning Commission and that is to amend the sign controls uh, in the C3 allowing business signage to be no higher than 100 feet from grade um, to uh, I believe it'll be unstriking uh, page 16 lines 12 and 13 if I'm not mistaken Someone can let me know if I misstated that. Um, And so we will take that amendment up after uh, the presentation and public comment. Uh, And so,
14: again, Aaron Starr from the Planning Department will provide a brief overview. Uh, Good afternoon again, Supervisors. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. Um, You went pretty well into the ordinance. Um, It consolidates uh, some definitions, modifies the business sign. Um, definition, um, requires that business signs, uh, be removed and brought to conformity once the business cease operation. Um, it prohibits the relocation of general advertising signs in the Van Ness corridor and also places some more restrictions around Union Square, um, and other neighbor commercial districts. This, uh, ordinance was originally part of the um, larger Northeast legislation, which was introduced by Supervisor Chu back in 2011. Um, and this uh, last signed ordinance is the last piece of that ordinance to be heard and considered by the board. Um, because of the ordinance original size, the Planning Commission heard the Northeast ordinance in three phases back in 2012. The science portion of the ordinance was included in phase one. At the March 1st hearing, the Commission voted 7-0 to 0 to recommend approval with modifications of Phase 1 of the Northeast Ordinance. Um, the two modifications include uh, the amendment that Supervisor Reiner just talked about, removing the, um, the lowering of the sign height in the C-3 District from 100 to 60 feet. Um, and also to consider expanding the proposed legislation so that changing the copy, color, or logo on a sign does not require that the sign be brought into conformance with the current planning code requirements. Um, that is not in this ordinance, um, but it, um, it wasn't part of it to begin with anyway. So, um, And that concludes my remarks. And I'm happy to take questions. Thanks. Thank you very much, Mr. Starr. Um, we will
0: open item 2.0. Uh- <coughs> Open item five, up for public comment. Uh, We have one public comment card, Tom Radulovic.
6: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Tom Radulovic, Executive Director of Livable City. Um, Very much in support of this ordinance and uh, helped work on it for, uh, as you can tell, the four years um, that it's been uh, moving forward. I just wanted to speak to the amendment and say that I am uh, opposed to the amendment. the, the amendment would allow business signs up to 100 feet in height uh, in the C3 districts. Now, um, when the Market Street sign controls were done in the late 60s, the limitation of Market Street was to 60 feet. So um, that's still a six-story high sign uh, on the widest street in the C3 district. So to say in the rest of the C3, um, signs can be up to 100 feet in height um, seems unnecessary. All of the Uh, Other controls and all of the, generally speaking, all of the policies of the planning department for the last uh, few decades have been about, you know, dignifying street level. Really making sure that we have street level, pedestrian scaled, you know, visual interest and bringing our city down to um, uh, the pedestrian level and paying attention to the bottom floors of buildings. No sign needs to be 100 feet high. Uh, for any use in the C3 district. Some of these streets are quite narrow. These would become very dominant. Um, they begin to dominate architecture. Uh, they begin to block light uh, because many of these signs could be projecting signs. Um, they would extend up into upper story windows. Downtown is a very mixed use area and is becoming more so uh, as we add more and more residents. So there will be more light trespass, more visual impact, and more blight. Uh, from increasing the height of signs so uh, I think keeping the existing the other thing that's that's a little confusing about this is I got a recent email um, part of the correspondence on a, some proposed changes to sign height and got an indication from the department that they thought 60 feet was a good height uh, in the c3 so I don't really know where this is coming from at this late hour but I would say um, it shouldn't be done and uh, what I wouldn't want to do is uh, also in the uh, Market in the uh, Market Street Sign District, we struck out the height limits there. So, if you the 100 feet, then the 60 feet um, in the Upper Market would need to be put back in. Uh, otherwise, <coughs> you will raise the heights of signs on Market Street as well.
0: Um, to the Planning Department, in terms of, uh, I don't think there are any buildings that are 100 feet tall in Upper Market. But can you comment on uh, Mr. Radulovic's? Last
14: comment. Um, I'm not sure what the email was, but I do know that um, we've heard concerns um, from developers downtown who want signs on top of their building, which could be as high as a thousand feet in some instances, um, to people who don't want signs above ten feet. So um, we feel that the hundred foot, um, the existing hundred foot, is a, um, I guess, a good balance between those two. Um, polar opposites. Also, this ordinance was heard uh, three, three years ago, two years ago. Um, And uh, the, at the time, the commission recommended that you keep the 100 feet in the ordinance. Um, And since then, there has been so no public discourse or conversation on that. And so we're a little bit reluctant to um, see that go down to 60 feet after that long period of time.
0: Um, in terms of uh, the, the reference that Mr. Vzulovich made, can, could perhaps between now and when this comes to the board, could, could I just get a, uh, perhaps a response from the department to that concern? Uh, on the, I'm sorry, repeat. On- about uh, the reference to Upper Market? Yes, certainly. Okay. Yeah. Thank and again, it's a little bit moot because I think mean, the tallest building in Upper Market is 85 feet, and it's not a commercial building, but um, perhaps we it's can. It's
6: not the Upper Market sign district. It's the Market Street sign district, which okay. is- Okay. OK. Yeah.
11: OK. The market's being struck
0: out entirely, which is great. Right. That's OK. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. OK. Uh, is there any additional public comment on item five? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, so in terms of the 100 feet versus the 60 feet, I, you know, frankly, I don't have a particularly strong opinion one way or the other. Uh, the Planning Commission did recommend, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 100 feet, uh, and Mr. Starr elaborated on that, uh, a bit. Um, so I, um, gonna, I'm going to propose the amendment today. Um, If at the full board uh, any colleagues are are interested in in changing that, including the the supervisors who actually represent uh, the C3 and are probably tend to be more involved uh, in some of these issues, that's certainly something that we can take up at the full board. Uh, But uh, for today, um, I I would uh, recommend that we put the amendment in. Um, So uh, the amendment uh, is as I described uh, before public comment. Can we take that amendment without objection? Okay, the amendment is adopted. And could I have a motion to forward item five to the full board with positive recommendation? So moved.
3: All
0: right, without objection, that will be the order. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number six?
1: Item number six is an ordinance amending the planning code to place office conversion controls in landmark buildings.
0: And Supervisor Cohen is the author of item six.
7: Thank you very much, colleagues. This item before you today changes the planning code to limit the amount of space that a building is allowed to convert once it is designated a historic landmark. The Board of Supervisors unanimously passed interim controls that I put forward last year to immediately establish some limits on the conversion of PDR to office space in historic buildings. Last year, the controversy over the proposed landmark um, at 2 Henry Adams brought this issue to my attention. In that case, the project sponsor intended to convert a five-story building into office space and displace dozens of long-term PDR businesses and tenants in the design center. During this process of reviewing and debating that proposal, I've asked the planning department to take a more comprehensive look at other similar buildings in the area. And as a result, the planning department determined that there are approximately 14 other Buildings in the PDR 1D and PDR 1G, as in girl, G as in girl, districts that could be eligible for landmark designation. Now, prior to the interim controls, these buildings were allowed to convert 100% of their space into office, irrespective of whether they were displacing PDR tenants. This policy had the potential of causing a loss of nearly one million square feet of PDR space in our city, and the interim controls that we passed last year um, and the ordinance before today limits the amount of office space that a historic building will be able to convert to office office space by establishing new floor controls. I have a number of proposed amendments to this ordinance that codify various changes and recommendations that we developed. Uh, largely in consultation with the Planning Commission, as well as with the Historic Preservation Commission, these include: there's three of them. First, requiring a conditional use authorization for the conversion. Second, requiring a histo- requiring a historic structures report be submitted to the Historic Preservation Commission, detailing the specific detailing the physical interventions needed in the building and their estimated costs. And finally, amendments requiring the Planning Commission to consider the historic structures report, the economic need for the building, and the compatibility of office space with PDR tenants and any any other potential impacts on the surrounding neighborhood or relocation plan for existing tenants in the building. Now I know that's a mouthful, but I believe that we have a steam a, sorry. Steve Wertheim from the Planning Department here just to say a few words about this item. Why don't you come on up, Steve.
13: Thank
5: you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Steve Wertheim, Planning Department staff. Uh, I'm just going to reflect on on the hearings that we had at the Historic Preservation Commission. We had two and one the Planning Commission. There was, during those hearings, um, really no concern or fight over the the gist of the policy, which is restricting the conversion of PDR space in these landmark buildings, there was full support of that. Uh, the only concern was raised by the HPC um, and they were concerned that, well, how do they know that these uh, buildings are, um, that they need so much office space uh, to support the economic viability. We had a case with 200 Adams, which is a building that was in excellent condition. Why would you need to put office in there to, you know, if the purpose of that legislation is um, is to improve the historic nature of the building. So the HPC uh, put forward, we proposed to them, um, Planning Department with Supervisor Cohen's staff, uh, a bunch of amendments which uh, were read today and the HPC voted unanimously to support them and the Planning Commission as well, in support of those amendments so that uh, they'd have a chance to, both commissions would have a chance to review this, HPC for its historic content and the Planning Commission uh, with through the conditional use process um, to ensure that Uh, the HPC's concerns were heard and that um, the office was also meeting other economic criteria. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Are we ready for public comment?
7: Yes, we are ready for public comment. And
0: Is there any public comment on item 6? Seeing none, public comment is closed. (coughs) Supervisor Cohen. Thank you. I just have
7: a few closing remarks. Um, Steve, thank you to you and to um, your department staff. I believe that the legislation really does a really good job of striking a balance between allowing higher revenue uses such as office to support the maintenance of these historic buildings without displacing long-term tenants or cannibalizing the entire PDR building. We need to maintain some of this we, we need to maintain some of the incentives property owners property property owners have to rest- have to restore these beautiful buildings by allowing them to have some office space in certain circumstances, but we cannot allow the wholesale of cannibalization of this really, truly valuable um, and highly coveted PDR space. So you've heard me time again uh, stress the value of PDR in our city. Um, this is um, essential. To our blue-collar jobs and diversity in our city's eco- uh, economy, not addressing this issue, I believe, would lead us down the wrong path of undercutting all the work that we have done collectively to begin to support and grow manufacturing our city. So I'd like to move that we adopt these amendments, right, Because and because, um, because they're substantive, we'll need to continue this item for one week. And so I'd like to make a motion to amend.
0: Okay. Uh, and we will take the amendments without objection. Thank you very much.
7: And then I'd like to make a motion to continue for one week. Madam Clerk, what's that date? Um, February 2nd, um, the next
1: meeting date.
0: Uh, no, I thought that, I think that, oh, wait.
7: No, February 2nd, yes. It's February 9th, that's
0: canceled. Right, February 2nd. Yes, please, so.
7: February 2nd.
0: Okay, so the motion is to continue item 6, one week to February 2nd. And without objection, the item will be continued. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Madam Clerk, will you please call our final item, item 7.
1: Item number 7 is an ordinance amending the zoning map to rezone a parcel located at 1600-1612 Cortland Avenue.
0: And uh, Supervisor Campos is the author of item 7,
14: and we'll call up Aaron Starr from the planning department. Me again. Um, So this rezones uh, 1600 Cortland uh, from CM which means commercial manufacturing to PDR1G. This property is the last property in the city to be zoned CM. The Article II ordinance that you just voted on deletes all CM zoning controls from the planning code, which is why we're hearing this today. Um, This property was supposed to be rezoned to PDR1G as part of Supervisor Maxwell's Bayshore Boulevard Home Improvement SUD introduced in 2010. Due to a clerical error, this one property was left out of the rezoning. Um, This was heard by the Planning Commission on December 4th, and uh, they voted unanimously to recommend approval. Thanks. Thank you very much. Is there any public comment on item 7? Seeing none, public comment
0: is closed. Could I have a motion to forward item 7 to the full board with positive recommendation?
7: Yes, please.
0: Making a lot of motions today. Yes, so moved. (laughs) Uh, Without objection, that will be the order. Uh, And uh, before we adjourn today, I just want to uh, note that this will be my, my final meeting as chair of the Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I've had the honor of uh, chairing this committee for two years now and uh, have served on it for four years and running. And for three of those four years I've had the pleasure of uh, serving with uh, my colleague Supervisor Cohen who will be stepping into the chairpersonship uh, as of next Monday's meeting. And Uh, I look forward to continuing to work together. The three members of the committee will not change. Supervisor Kim will remain on as well, So, uh, but we will be under uh, new and uh, fabulous leadership. So congratulations, Supervisor Cohen. I look forward to continuing to work together. Uh, Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee?
1: There's no further business.
0: Then we are adjourned. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you.